and welcome back to the movie pope podcast and today we have another guest coming on for the interview portion today we welcome monica trombley monica how are you doing today i'm doing pretty good and yourself uh you know i'll i'll, I'll tell you what you spend you spend three months working nonstop, never you know, never calling in sick, and then once Labor Day holiday hits, that's when it hits you. So it's been hitting me with a vengeance. So I'm 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 pretty much just trying to like tough it out here. But um, but we'll we'll I'll, I'll get through it eventually. <laughs> uh, how how you been doing this week? I've been doing okay. I've just been doing an at home work assignment, which you would think in some ways that'd be easier, but then. You're working at home and technically you could do it pretty much any time and sometimes your time can get away from you so that's yeah exactly. of advantage and disadvantage exactly i know the feeling because i work from home too and you think you get things things done a lot more quickly but there are just so many distractions it's just it's just obscene um so so let's go ahead and dive in can you um can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and and your work and what you do so basically, like many, many people in the entertainment industry, I do have day work that I'm doing. So I am a licensed attorney based in New York City. I'm actually licensed in New York, Connecticut, EDMY, and SDNY. So those are the two federal courts. Oh, wow. But, but my main specialty is entertainment law. And I actually started my career like 15 plus years ago. If we start including the creative stuff, that would be even longer. But I actually started as a partner in a film production company. I literally got admitted two weeks after I got admitted to the New York bar. The owner of the company comes to me after I'd been his executive assistant for quite some time. And he says to me, how would you like to be a partner? <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And then I've also, let's see, then I've also had my own creative clientele, basically dealing with entertainment transactional work, meaning I do not go to the courthouse or file lawsuits for you. Mm -hmm. But I am happy to read a contract and tell you what particular terms mean, help you negotiate, advise on whether I think something sounds practical, or if it's something that maybe you're getting ripped off. And as I noted, I'm also a creative myself, I am an actress, singer, writer, model, blogger, and podcast host and producer. I actually have my own podcast. I'm going to be starting the fourth season on very shortly. Oh wow! Definitely put that in the description below. I'll definitely, I'll definitely check that out. Okay, it's actually called the Gorgeous Ginger Lawyer. It has nothing to do with boring legal stuff because that's just not who I am as a person. So it sort of talks, <laughs> more, about, talks more about my life experience being an attorney also being somebody who's a creative type and a person that if you saw me you would think i was an actress or a model but you wouldn't really think i was a lawyer unless you spoke to me right right so looks can be deceiving so 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 i do want to uh, i i do want to um talk to you about the legal aspect because a, a few weeks ago i did have um another filmmaker um jt jt schindler on and he mentioned briefly how um, how there, there's more to filmmaking than just being creative. Apparently, uh, you know, apparently when it comes to these negotiations, it's it's not really the creative side that gets involved. It's the legal side. Can you um can, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, about what that involves, what that entails in terms of um, that aspect? Sure. So anything you see on the screen, usually people had to get some type of permission for that. Like you might have filming in a location that's not your house or 
public, you know, something public. Sometimes you need to get permits or you have to get a location agreement. You have to yeah. get releases from your talent because they have a right to their name, face, likeness for commercial purposes. You have to also have that with your crew and your actors. So people actually show up to work and ideally you've got a budget of some sort. So you're paying people, but if you don't, then I personally recommend do deferred agreements, meaning that as soon as your project makes money, you are going to pay them. Very few people are going to show up and really commit to a project. If you say it's completely unpaid and you are not getting anything out of this, and one big guidance point that I noted in independent film, it's kind of been, I guess, a longstanding secret is make sure you've got very good food on your set if you can't pay people. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that happen a lot with um, during my time in film school because uh, you know, obviously student filmmakers, they can't afford to pay actors. So the next best thing is they, they usually have like a huge uh, pizza party um, at the end. Um, but but I did want to ask, so. So, 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 so in, in terms of, um, of actors who may or may not be able to commit, like, is there, I mean, is there not that, that much of an effort being put to try to get them to legally, I guess, sign the document to, to appear? Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm wording it right. Well, basically, a lot of people will complain about doing the legal formalities, but they are absolutely essential if you want to actually do this and make a living at it. If you want to sell to a distribution company, they're going to say, okay, we need copies of all your contracts from all your talent, all okay. your crew. We need the music licensing agreement saying that, yes, you're allowed to use the music that you're using in the film that you've shown us. And you have to be very careful about the rights that you've obtained. Like you want to make sure that you've got as many as possible, because if you don't have theatrical rights, then obviously if it goes and plays in a theater, you're gonna have to change that track. Or if you've right. only limited it to festival rights, then if it goes out on DVD or you wanna put it on a streaming service, you're not gonna have permission for that. So you can't just simply go and take a template somewhere online and then go have people sign agreements. If you're not an attorney and you don't know what that agreement means or what the implications are, you're going to run into a lot of problems and then there's also all kinds of other things like if you wanted to do sex scenes in a movie or you're having nudity or you're doing stunts or there's if you're bringing in weapons there's contacting the local authorities you don't want to end up in a situation like the rust lawsuit for example yeah exactly i was going to actually going to mention that like like that's a huge you know, that, you know that's a huge you know poo sandwich right there um so so, so for starters how does how, how does how does a filmmaker so so let's let's say for instance I'm I'm just starting out and 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 I've got I've got everything I need in terms of getting production ready how do I go about getting a lawyer and what are the what are the steps that I, I would need to follow to try to make sure I'm as legally sound as possible So one thing I will say is that lawyers are not cheap for the most part and some people look for people that have just become attorneys they're called newly admitted this is not to be confused with somebody who's just got a JD because just because you have a JD does not mean you have a license. To yeah. Practice. Cause you still have to take the, take the bar exam and pass. Right. Yep. Okay. So in my own experience at my film company, I was a JD awaiting admission and I became the executive assistant to the CEO of the company. So I was basically because I'd interviewed with character and fitness, I taken the bar exam, but it takes a few months to get your results and it takes time to go through the character and fitness interview and do the stuff you have to do to become a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I was sort of in this in between period. So in that time I was doing good work for the executive. 
or rather for the CEO of the company as an executive assistant, I was doing good work there. So one of the things I've advised people is look for attorneys who really, really want to do entertainment because there are some attorneys who have a lot of experience in contracts, but they have no experience in entertainment. So when you're dealing with the transactional side, a lot of that is contracts. And there are some attorneys who are like, oh, I'd really like to do that, but I have no experience at it. Those might be the people who'd be interested in talking to you and would be happy to do it for experience or do it right. for a lesser rate. Whereas if you're going to talk to somebody who's got five plus years experience in this field, like somebody like me, I do have an hourly rate. You got to pay that. So on average, the hourly rate would vary. On average, it would be $350 an hour. Like somebody who's done this a lot longer, I've seen $500, $600 an hour. And right, that makes sense. Yeah. So honestly, so honestly, I think it's possible. But you want to either look to people that are newly admitted and really, really want to get into entertainment, or you want to find somebody who's got a lot of contract experience and they say, I really want to do this project and I'm interested in entertainment. And oftentimes one thing that helps is that if you're willing to give the person credit, like give them a cast credit or give them free tickets to the premiere, give them, you can give them equity. That's also an option. Certainly give them a producer title of some sort. Like if you're giving them an associate producer credit, I've seen people do that. Right. So that can be something that can also motivate an attorney to help you. So sometimes it's not always about the cold, hard cash, but I would definitely say, use your noggin, figure out what can you negotiate? What can you do to make it sound like, okay, they're not just performing a charity function that this film's never gonna see the light of day. Like that's something I also look at. I know that people have asked me in the past about doing their stuff and you better have a copy of the script because I know that most attorneys, at least somebody who's putting their name on a project, they wanna read it and make sure it's something that they can believe in. All right. Like they're gonna see this and it's not gonna be something that's against their beliefs or something that they're like, I just wouldn't wanna see this. Because how are they gonna be a producer on a project that they don't care about, that they really aren't gonna promote, they're not gonna be interested in. So you have to, you definitely have to view it as they're a professional. They're not your buddy that you're getting to do you a solid. Gotcha. So, 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 so sort of like when, when you're doing the initial pitch, you know, you're, you're pitching to these investors, you sort of want to look at these lawyers as, as sort of the same way, right? How can I make you care about what I'm trying to sell you? Right. Yeah. I think in a similar way, I mean, with investors, it's a little more of a high stakes effort, I think. And some of them are a little more savvy about what goes into it and how to do that. But definitely you don't want to view the lawyer as, oh, I need a free lawyer to do this. And you think that somebody's magically going to do that because it is an advanced level skill. It's not. And I've said this to people before because I've seen this from creatives asking, oh, why isn't acting respected as much as law is? And I'm like, that's a professional trade. You have to go to school for that. You can't just hire somebody off the street to be your legal counsel. <laughs> If you did, you'd be in pretty, you know, pretty deep trouble if, if something were to come up. Yeah, I think um, everybody around you would be because I think in many, yeah, I think in many jurisdictions, it's actually a felony to practice law without a license. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if communities taught us anything, you know, you're going to get caught eventually. No, not even if you're as smooth as Jeff Winger. Um, so, so, so I have another follow-up question on this. So. So, so, so let's say, for instance, if you're if you're a first time filmmaker, you're you're just starting out. Is it is it imperative that you that that you have legal representation, or or is it possible to just make you know just just make a movie and not worry about waivers and all that stuff, or at least not worry about having too much legal oversight? 
I would say the first question you ask yourself is, do you want to make money at this project? Because okay. if you're just doing it as a portfolio piece or you're doing it with no intention of getting a distribution deal, then you will probably be okay. But if there could be interest down the road or you'd like to enter it in a film festival and some big name person or somebody who could get you into the next category sees your film, they're going to say, we're not even coming to the table. We are not signing an agreement with you if you do not have copies of your contracts, if you do not have releases from your talent, if you don't have clearance for all your music, if basically you don't have all your ducks in a row from a legal perspective, a distribution company is not going to touch it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because because they want to make sure they want to make sure that, you know, that there's nothing, you know, surprising that comes up later on that can, that can you know bite them. Right. Yep. And that even includes things like making sure that whoever's the author of the script, that they are the sole author. And when okay. I say that and when I say that, I mean, you can't be writing a script if you say that, I don't know, John Smith is the author. Right. So John Smith is writing the script at home, but he's talked to Mary about this, his wife, or he's talked to Carrie, his girlfriend, or I don't know, his business partner or his little friend from the bar or whatever. If he's talking to these people about this script and they're contributing ideas, they should technically be credited as authors. Because if you get this project into a distribution deal, Carrie, Mary, guy at the bar, they could pop out of the woodwork and say, hey, I didn't get credit for this. This is my script, too. So where are my royalty payments? Where's my money? So the next thing you know, you're going to you're going to court. You'd be going to federal court and getting dealing with a federal litigation case is much, much more expensive than hiring a transactional attorney to make sure you had the contracts right in the first place. Right, right. Because it doesn't matter if they're if they're your bestest buddy in the whole wide world or your you know significant other, if they feel they've been you know cheated, they're they've got legal grounds to come after you for that. Oh yeah. And when money gets involved and there's a big distribution deal i can tell you from i can tell you from reading so much of it and i think somewhat from my experience too but people definitely pop out of the woodwork and even the guy who did something very minor if you didn't account for that in terms of legalities they'll say hey that's my work i want a piece of that right right so um so can you walk me through how how, how do you how do you draft a contract is it something that you do or or is there like some sort of like generic document that, that you print out and you just go through and sign it? Or how does that work out? Like generally how an attorney does it or how one would do it just in general? I, I guess I, I guess how an attorney would do it. Well, sometimes I think if an attorney is starting out or at least if they've done this a while, they usually will have template agreements. But the thing is with templates is when you see one, it's never something that it will apply to every single situation 100% perfectly. That's right. not how templates work. So usually what I've done is I've done this for a while, so I might have a bunch of templates. So I could have something like three or four templates of something, for example. I don't know, maybe it's a non-disclosure agreement, maybe it's a location agreement, something like that. So you'll also get some instruction on what you need for this specific agreement, because usually the producer, whoever you're dealing with has had a discussion, the people have decided, okay, here are the things that we want, and they're very specific. Some people are a little more particular than others. So what I'll usually do is I will go through some of these templates and I'll say, okay, here's a clause in this one I really like, or I like the structure of this one, or I like this of something else. And sometimes your client will give you a template and say, please use this as our format, or here's what the other side gave us, and we want you to use that as the format. So. I know there's rules about copyright and all this stuff, but I kind of feel like me personally, if I've done something, I'm not so particular about it. 
because it's not exactly something as original as say writing a film script. So right, what I usually right. do is I kind of go through and figure out, okay, how do I phrase this? And sometimes you're rephrasing things too of like, okay, how do I rephrase this to make it more, make more sense? How do I put in the provisions I'm being asked to do? And what are the particular language pieces I like and what don't I like in here? And how detailed do I have to make it? Because some people want you to have two pages, double space, that's it. Some people want it to be five pages. And I very rarely have come across people who are like, I want 20 page single space, every crazy amount of legal jargon you can think of. More people just want it simple. They right. want it easy to read. So sometimes some of these templates will have things that are filled with legal jargon and they're more of the 20 page single space variety. And some of the language is really good there and some of it is very protective, but some of it is just way too arcane in terms of its drafting. So you're figuring out, okay, how do I say this in a way that makes more sense and that's more accessible to my audience? Right, right. Because because most of the time they're they're not going to be experts in, in in the law anyway, so they want something that's going to be comprehensible, you know, for them to sign on on the dotted line, which which makes sense. Um, so so um, I I, I do want to shift gears a little bit. So so how does so how how exactly do you study to be uh, an entertainment lawyer? Is that like is that like a specific concentration you take at law school, or is it something that you just learn by experience? Well, I think in entertainment law, I know that some law schools have that as a concentration. I personally did not do it. So it's not really something like patent law where you have to have a law license to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think a big part of doing entertainment law, and I have said this to people countless times, a lot of it is your personality. And I think part of that, when I say it's about your personality, is that there are a lot of lawyers who basically think their poop doesn't stink because they have a law license. And many are what we would call elitists. They're a little more obsessed with where one went to law school. What was their class rank? Were they on law review? Do they work at some big law firm? And right, honestly, right. honestly, my experience with clients and people in the entertainment industry has been, they don't care about that stuff. They care more about how you treat them. They care more about, do you care about this project? Do you have any kind of sensibility in the arts? Are you the type of person who could go to a film premiere, fashion show, music event, whatever we're doing that's in the entertainment space and be an accessible person. Like, can you go talk to people? Can you be respectful towards them? Or are you the type of person who's got your arms crossed, looking down your nose at everybody in the corner of the room? Like, I went to Yale Law School and I'm so much better than all of you. I mean, people pick up on that elitism and a lot of the people I've met have told me about how they can't stand lawyers because number one, they're too busy speaking in legalese Mm -hmm. Number two, they are arrogant. Oh, wow. Is that a common trait? It's happened to me quite a bit over the years. And basically, it's kind of interesting because I look as I do and I've worked in the spaces I've worked in. So a lot of people seem to forget that I'm a lawyer sometimes. Yeah. So and it's very different among the legal space. I don't feel like there's that sense of community. There's definitely not that sense of we're all in this together like there is in the creative industry. Right. But so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and I was gonna say that 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 actually that actually does make a lot of sense because the common perception is lawyers are are pretty inaccessible. It's kind of it's kind of that idea that lawyers are only needed when you really really need them. Otherwise, you kind of just like you know just tuck them away in the you know in the in, you know in the back cupboard and not worry about them until something really really crazy comes about. So that 
you know, you know, so that in itself, you know, is pretty much an eye opener because you do want to be someone who's accessible and open to everybody. I mean, in other words, you want to be you want to be seen as as more than just a lawyer, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess in my own experience, I've had a lot of people ask me, "Well, how did you get this hybrid career?" Because most lawyers don't do that, and in fact, the legal field is kind of structured in a way where it's, "Oh, you have to do law, and that's it." In fact, I remember when I wanted to do entertainment law. And I was asking advice from people on how to do it. And mainly what I heard was get good grades and work at a big law firm. And I'm like, I'm not the type of person who is suited to work in a big law firm because I'm not going to take emotional abuse. I didn't put up with that as a high school or college student working in retail. Mm -hmm. So why would I put up with that if I've got two law licenses and a JD? That made no sense to me. Right, right. So, my strategy was basically go where their creatives are, you know, go talk to those people, go to the entertainment events. And I ended up getting the best advice of starting this career from my entertainment law professor, because number one, I didn't know entertainment law existed until I went to law school. Right. <laughs> and number two, my entertainment law professor actually had worked in LA. She was actually a PA on Family Ties back in the 80s. She'd done quite a bit in the industry. So she had a lot of industry stories. Oh, get out. She, she worked with Family Ties? She was. She was a PA there in the 80s. She told us a little bit about that. Like, apparently, Michael J. Fox gave her a hockey stick once. Oh, my God. <laughs> I used to watch that show when I was little, too. They just come on. I mean, I wow. Family yeah. ties. <laughs> yeah. So I remember. So one of the things she told us was to get an internship, whether it's a paid or an unpaid internship. She said, get an internship, because if you prove yourself and you're good at that job, you'll move up very fast. And, and 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 that's what you did, right? You got an internship? I got two of them, actually, because I interned with this very well-known talent agent who had been in the business for about 40-plus years when I started working with her. Okay. She, she was a very polarizing figure. She was one of those people that people loved her or they hated her. And she had a level of bluntness I still aspire to to this day. <laughs> is, it that, is it kind of like uh, that Meryl Streep character in The Devil Wears Prada, sort of? Perhaps. I mean, I don't, I should see the movie to be quite honest. I haven't, but I do remember one day that one of the things about working with a talent agent is you'll get a lot of opportunities to go to theater. Actors will invite you to things. And she said to me, you can go to any of these shows I get invites to, because I don't go to these unless they're giving me free food. So she said, you can always, and you can get a, get a plus one and you can just say you're going on behalf of my agency. Right. So one day I did that and I went with my then husband. We went to see a punk version of Romeo and Juliet. My ex loved that show. He thought everything in it was great except the actress who played Juliet. And guess who sent the invite to the show? Who? The actress who played Juliet. So then maybe a week <laughs> or two later. So to give you an example of this agency's this agent's bluntness, a week or two later, this actress comes to the talent agent's office. Right. Um, I will never forget what she said to her. She said, and no emotion, nothing there. She said, you need to lose weight and stop doing theater. <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm assuming she said this with a straight face too, oh, right? Yes. Okay. And said this in front of multiple, and said this in front of multiple interns and people who were helping her out. So it wasn't just me she was saying this in front of. It's like two other people were there too. So, so I'm assuming she's the kind of person who's operating from the mindset you got, you have to be cruel to be kind. Is that? I think is she that was accurate. Yeah. She okay. was very old school, so she had been in the business a very long time. And I mean, it was definitely one of those things. Like she, I worked with her for a few months, and she said to me, "You're pretty." 
we should get you should give me your headshot you're pretty so i was like okay if she says you're pretty or she says you're good you definitely yeah. are pretty you definitely are good like she was not the type of person who was just trying to smooth over your feelings or make you feel better i don't think she had that kind of filter and i kind of feel like maybe in her work that wouldn't be a good thing like her being her was probably a very good thing for her job right right and and is that what is, is that what got you started um in in, in in the creative side because you did mention that you do a lot of other things besides being a lawyer well i actually did the creative part probably way way back when i lived in north carolina when i was really young because i mean i was taking music classes i was in children's church when i was a kid i actually got to sing in this thanksgiving day parade i was like one of a few people from my class selected to sing on this trolley Oh, wow. yep i did drama in high school i was like in a play in elementary school and i didn't get to do drama until high school they actually right. got classes i remember i did a theater competition and basically the hardcore judge didn't have anything negative to say to me about my acting performance <laughs> and i mean i was getting standing ovations for singing in high school i remember in law school i even did this talent show that apparently was based on voting and i had no clue about that and i actually ended up winning a cash prize i got third place when these two bands tied in the music category wow <laughs> so so just out of curiosity what, what part of north carolina were you are, are you from i grew up in winston-salem okay gotcha i went to school in greensboro so so not far from from where you guys are uh, and, and, and i mean because i've been to winston-salem only once and i always found it a very peculiar town it's it, it, it kind of has like a bit of an asheville vibe to it you know like you wouldn't know it until you've actually been there um yeah. and that's not to knock mean, that's not to knock on winston-salem i'm just saying like you know it, you know high point and greensboro they seem pretty tame compared to what goes on in winston so yeah like i mean i lived there in the yeah i lived there in like the 80s and the 90s and i know growing up there i was literally the square peg right because <laughs> it's not around holes i was literally the square peg right right yeah I would, yeah because i was gonna say like i went there like in 08 09 i think this is when spike lee was giving a talk at wake forest and we just and my friends and I, we just happened to stop by at a restaurant we just saw a guy, a guy dressed as a bear tamer and nobody just batted an eyelid they was like oh yeah this is a normal thing i'm like okay <laughs> okay well I'm, i'll go with that um so so in terms of in terms of, of the creative side is there like a particular um i guess is, is there a particular art that you that, that you tend to gravitate towards or are you do you like to like like split everything up equally like you like to do singing you know as much as you like to do acting or modeling for instance yeah, I'm not sure that there's different things that, oh, I like doing this better than something else, because I feel like there's validity and there's uniqueness in different things. Like I know, for instance, with acting, it's not really something I kind of feel like in terms of myself as a creative, like eventually I may age out of some of this, but I feel like acting is very different from modeling. Because mm -hmm. in acting, you can get training if you're not good at something. If somebody says, okay, you need to improve on this, acting you can go get training on and you can get better at it or you can have a different part and not every part is suited for every person. Meanwhile, right. with modeling, you're kind of on, here's your look. And if your look's not fitting something, well, your look doesn't fit that. So in my case, it's like, I've had people who've admired my look and they're like, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, you have red hair. I wish I had that. But it's like, well, I'm also a redhead. So they're not necessarily casting me in every single thing either. So it kind of depends on 
who the designer is and what is their sensibility. And it's not always about your professionalism. Like I think in, like, I think in acting, it's definitely more about your professionalism as well. Right. Right. Going up on time, not being a pain in the butt. And that's definitely true of filmmaking too, because you would not want to have some actor who's basically a massive prima donna and they're complaining about, Oh, we're having to shoot out in the cold. We're shooting out in the rain and they're just constantly complaining about it and bringing down the entire mood. I mean, that person's not going to last long. Right, right. I mean, it's not like we've never heard of the stories before. Um, do you? Uh, so, so in terms of acting, are are, are you more of like? Are you? I mean, do, are you more of a stage actress, or or do you prefer doing you know film and TV? Like, what? How, how does that work with you? So I've done a lot of theater. I do have a lot of experience there, but I actually don't mind doing film aspects. I mean, I've done. Most of my stuff has been more background work, but I actually had a solicited web series that I'd written with the film company, even though it didn't really go anywhere because we had other projects. Right. But I think there's, I think it's probably a little easier sometimes. Like if you're going on stage, it's like, that's live. If you mess it up, well, you're just going to have to pull on through and carry on. Meanwhile, if you're doing film or TV, they can do multiple takes. Right, right. Because I know, um, because I remember reading somewhere, I think it was either Anne Hathaway or, or, or someone else who said they... You know, it, it, you know, if push comes to shove, they prefer doing, you know, stage acting instead of film and TV. So I, so I always wondered if actors kind of had a preference for either one or the other. Um, now, 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 are you, are you, are you working on any particular projects at the moment? Anything that that you want to tell us about? So let's see. My, I don't know that I have specific projects coming out at the moment. I have one that I have been in talks with. I have a few that I've been talking to people about, but we haven't had any finality yet. I actually signed up for a workshop to learn how to create my own content because I feel like, man, I should have my own film production company, but I don't really know the production side of doing that. So I signed up for this workshop to learn how to do the production side of that. Then I also am in talks with a potential manager. So I'm just waiting to get a contract back that's compliant with New York law, because one thing you should be aware of is that in New York, a person cannot be both your manager and your agent, because there's literally rules of licensing to be an agent in New York. And apparently to be an agent, you can't do anything else. You right. can't be a casting director. You can't be an actor. You can't be a manager. You can only be an agent. That's it. Right. Meanwhile, just that one thing. Yep. Meanwhile, if you're a manager, you can do other things, too. So I basically sort of run in, ran into this little conundrum with the person I was speaking with. So I'm like, OK, I don't want to screw you up when you're trying to apply to get agency status. I will help you because I also happen to be a lawyer mm -hmm. and I have enough counsel affiliation with somebody so you can talk to them. So you're not just having me negotiate my own contract because that's not really appropriate. Like that's also something interesting that comes up sometimes if you're a lawyer is and a creative is okay. I'm not negotiating my own contract with you. Right. You should have another right. Not me. So, so, so what prompted you to, to sign up for these workshops? What, um, what, what got you, you know, what got you started on that? I think the main one, the main impetus on that one is that I've said for years, I should have my own film production company because I've been involved in two different film companies. I've done this for 10 years. So I know enough of what not to do. And I have a vision of what I would like to do. I have a couple of, yeah, I have a few things of what I'd like to do. Basically tell my own stories and then tell stories of people who feel that they've not really gotten a voice in the mainstream. 
Like I know that Hollywood has talked about, oh, we're about diversity and inclusion or we're about diversity and inclusion. And it's like, what about my former business partner? Why is he not a household name? In fact, Spike Lee gave him a shout out on Twitter at one point many years back. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> when that guy becomes a household name, then I'll believe you when you say you're about diversity and inclusion and you want to elevate black people. Okay. Then I'll believe you. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, because I mean, that's the thing, because like, because the way I see it nowadays, you know, you know, there either isn't too, you know, too much diversity, or if there is, it kind of shove it down their throats. So it's kind of like this balance. And, and I mentioned this to JT when, when, when I spoke with him in our, in our previous episode, you know, as, as an Asian American, um, you know, here in the US, I, I don't see that much representation. And when they do, you know, representation of Asian Americans, they get it wrong all the time. So in my mind, I'm like, why even bother with it if you're just going to screw it up because it doesn't speak to my experience at all you're just you're just making us you're just making us look even worse you know so you know so so that so that is something that's that's pretty exciting to um to see happen here um you did mention that you that, that you're um they've got a podcast can you tell us a little bit about that sure it's called the gorgeous ginger lawyer and I actually got the idea of that after speaking with someone in the industry who is doing fashion and he'd had a conversation with me and he said, wow, you're really funny. You should have a podcast. So <laughs> I actually did my very first episode of that shortly before the pandemic hit. So my second episode was about my leaving New York and how, and I ended up going to North Carolina because my sister begged me to go to North Carolina. She was like, you don't need to stay in New York city. Cause at that time this was, you know, ground zero of the pandemic. This is right. March 2020. Mm -hmm. And my sister said, if you come down here, you can go to your niece's first birthday party. So literally I was there, I think like five days later, it was my niece's first birthday and it was kind of chilly in New York. So I was there with my winter coat and I had jeans on and I had winter clothes. But I didn't bring all that much to change in. So it was like, okay, then it was going to be in the 90s in North Carolina. So we ended up going to the local Walmart before they were shutting down stores for the pandemic and I had to buy some summer clothes. <laughs> and I was down there for quite some time. So basically when I was down there, I was doing that. I also had, I was also an official host on this app called Bego, but I was doing podcast episodes and I was talking about how we end up regressing when we go see our families. And I was there staying with my mom, my younger sister, her three kids at that time, her husband, we were like all in the same house along with my mom's two cats. So I knew people meanwhile who were in New York and New Jersey still, and they were suffering from social isolation. Right. I'm like, I'm not having that problem. I'm living a mix of full house and green acres. Because <laughs> my mom lives on this acre of land out in Lexington, which is a suburb of Winston-Salem, so. Yeah, 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 it's not far, that far from Charlotte, so. <laughs> yeah, you can drive down the road there and you can see cows and occasionally there are tractors riding down the street, which my sister has her own. My sister has her own complaints about that. Actually, my mom does, too. They're the type of people that I feel like there's a philosophy. I have a philosophy, basically, of there's two types of people in life. There are people who are the, doing the slow driving and the people who complain about the slow drivers. That's that's very, very true. <laughs> And my family would be the type of complain who complain about the slow drivers, including my mom, who is not the youngest woman in the world. She still complains about these slow drivers. Right. Yeah. So, so your podcast, you just talk about life in general, really? 
Oh yeah, I've done topics on a lot of different things. So I've done things from more serious, like whether Me Too went too far. Mm -hmm. I've talked about a lot of relationship stuff because I've dated quite a bit. I've also been married and divorced. So I've been doing, you know, I did pre-dating, you know, pre-marriage dating. Then I was married for about seven and a half years, got divorced, quite a nasty situation. Like many divorces are nasty, but mine was especially bad. <laughs> Right, right. So I also have done dating in that time, and it was definitely a 180 from pre-marriage dating because by that point it was like, okay, now I own my worth. Because part of my marriage problem, I think, came, or part of my marriage having problems kind of came from my ex-husband not really liking the fact that I was doing modeling. Now, I wasn't doing nude modeling or anything like that, but he seemed to have a problem with me realizing, okay, I'm attractive. And owning self-worth and all that stuff, which a lot of people I think are kind of surprised by that. But it's like I was bullied when I was in high school. I was not considered a hot ticket back when I lived in North Carolina. Like there were guys that I had crushes on. They did not like me back. Right, right. So I've done topics about that. But I mean, I also did an episode last season where I had rewatched all of Friends. And I'm like, I actually watched it, you know, back in the day a long time ago. Some of the later ones I didn't see again. But I'm like, okay, when you really get to it, Ross Geller was a tool. So I was like <laughs> analyzing episodes of Friends and I was talking about that and sort of what ended up happening. But I'm like, he, however, was right that he and Rachel were on a break. <laughs> that, was, that is the never ending question right there. I have a friend who is obsessed with Friends and she brings that up every time I see her. <laughs> so I know a little bit about the whole we're on a break thing. Um, Monica, it, it, it's been a pleasure having having you on the podcast. Um, I I definitely want to bring you back on for for further episodes. Um, how how can people reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about you and your work? So I am about to get my website. I am getting my website updated soon, but it is www.monicatrombley.com. I am also on IMDb under Monica C. Trombley. There's the podcast, The Gorgeous Ginger Lawyer. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. I'm sure a few other places. Mm -hmm. I also have a blog called The Angry Redheaded Lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I actually have had the blog first. And that basically was, and I was told it was a quote unquote humorous rant blog. But mostly <laughs> I've been doing reviews. That's kind of what I've done more recently in that blog. <laughs> right, right. Why is it that you're not a comedian? Because you are pretty. I mean, you are pretty hilarious. I've been told I should do that, but I'm like, I'm not really a stand-up per se. So it's not like I can go and tell jokes and do all that. So, I mean, you could sort of follow the Ricky Gervais approach, you know, with that biting, you know, with that biting wit, you know. <laughs> you know, li living in New York, kind of, you know, it kind of rubs off on you after a while. Um. So, so before we end. I, I like to ask this of all my guests. What is your favorite movie or TV show? And I'm going to exclude friends here from the conversation. I would say probably the movie that has inspired me a lot was the movie Office Space. Okay. Okay. <laughs> is it because of Lumberg? You can, you, can, you can admit it. I think basically it's the philosophy of that movie. The idea that, you know, life is too short to be at some job that you really, really hate. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like the post-hypnosis Peter Gibbons, where he's just like, I don't give an F about this job. <laughs> yes, that's right. And I had and I had this really bad legal job where the owner was completely toxic. 
And to this day, I'm still like, I wish I had found that Cannabis and Biz Markey song of that movie, Shove This J-O-B. I'm like, I should have given that guy a clip <laughs> of that on YouTube. I should have sent that via email. That should have been my resignation. <laughs> well, either that or you take his computer out and, you know, with two other people and just smash it up in the field, you know, and just return it to him. <laughs> it's yeah. like, here's your computer right there. Not to mention that a young Jennifer Aniston was in that movie, too, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and he was all terrified about asking her out, but then post-Peter Hypnosis is like, you know what, screw it. And then he got the girl he wanted. Exactly, exactly. You know, and and, and it was smooth sailing from there because, you know, in the end, Lumber got what he deserved. Uh, <laughs> well, Monica, it was a pleasure um, having you on the podcast. I'll definitely um, include those links below. Um, and for all of y'all watching, remember to like, comment, subscribe. And if there are any guests or if there's any topic that you want us to discuss in this podcast, please leave it down in the comments below. And we are officially on Spotify now. So be sure to check us out there. But for the movie Pope, um, I just want to thank you so much for watching and take it easy. Bye. <laughs>